I think the main thing is really just talking about this. I don't really know what to describe it as, but it's some sort of like generational transformation, like the next stage in modern society. Welcome to a bit cryptic podcast where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hey, Cryptonauts. This is Jeff here from a bit cryptic podcast and here with my co-host. Alain Leong, a.k.a. Bitcoin Van Gogh. Such a cool name. And we're here today at the North American Bitcoin Conference, which is here in my in beautiful Miami, Florida, which is, you know, where uh, Alain and I are both based. And we met someone very cool today. Well, not Mr. T, just T. He's a well-known YouTuber. Uh, his YouTube name is That Guy T. His name is TJ Brown, and he has a lot of interesting stuff he's going to tell us about. He's classical liberal a libertarian, which makes him a perfect fit at this cryptocurrency conference. But I want to hear about what you are doing and a little bit about your background. And thanks for coming on, by the way. Oh, no problem. Thanks again for having me. Again, my name's um, TJ Brown. Most people just call me T. I run a YouTube channel called That Guy T, where I discuss various cultural, political opinion related topics. I'm just giving my take on different situations in the world and trying to make, trying to give an interesting perspective that you haven't really heard anywhere else. And background, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised, where I'm also based now currently. And this is my first conference in Miami for the North American Bitcoin Conference. And I'm loving it so far. It's awesome. Meeting tons of great people, great information, and also helping me develop some strategies, hopefully to execute in my space right now, which is content marketing, particularly for the Atlanta Bitcoin Embassy, which is my latest client that I'm assisting in boosting their outreach. So you're not like crypto guy per se. I mean, you are now, I guess, but but until recently, you've been more focused on like on politics and things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And I would say, I mean, by the standard of, you know, maybe being the 0.1% people in the world who know what Bitcoin is, sure, I'm a crypto guy by that metric. But um, as far as being super techie, super into the different, I'm not that entrenched in the space just yet. I'm learning more about it, but I'm also actually kind of happy to like maintain a little bit of practicality mm -hmm. just so I can have that mainstream appeal because I think that's one thing that I've noticed in the crypto space. A lot of people kind of get a little bit nervous about entering it because they feel they don't know enough yet. They haven't studied enough and you know they're going to look stupid when really it's just a, it's a new market. And of course, there are brilliant people in the space. But there's also plenty of room for just regular people who just say, okay, I'd like to know what Bitcoin is, what cryptocurrency is, and looking to figure out how they can contribute to the space. What do you think are like the most, I guess, practical, easy ways to enter into crypto? I mean, since you are now fresh into crypto, I think you have the best beginner's perspective of any of us three here. So what do you, what do you think are some like easy ways to like build a knowledge base and participate uh, in this space? Most easiest is YouTube. Not just saying that out of bias, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's like the best place I think to find content. Yeah. yeah, YouTube. You know, any of the blockchain forums. You know, of course, like stuff like Reddit and stuff, or just meeting 
like different meetups in different cities. Nine times ten, if you go like meetup.com or check out where you at, I'm sure there's some local crypto event because even though it's still such a small niche industry that's kind of just now taking off, it's already like dominating globally everywhere. So I think that's probably the best way to learn about it initially. The best way to get involved is I think Personally, a lot of people say, you know, they'll give the spiel of, you know, become a developer, you know, we need coders, we need people in this field, we need people in that field, you know, go on Indeed and find whatever job you fit in. I think a better way to look at it is to just see what can you do good and can that be applied to the crypto space. You don't necessarily have to be a coder or you don't have to like make the next like wallet application or something like that. There's practical there's more much more practical avenues for me for example I'm just assisting in developing outreach and awareness of just the concept of bitcoin not necessarily being an in-depth teacher or you know make I'm not an expert by any means but I think the first step is but the space really needs right now is just people to actually know what bitcoin is and to, like when you say that word not say, oh, I heard about that on CNN or, oh, I heard about on, that on the news or somewhere knowing nothing about it and likely hearing like fear mongering stories of, you know, people getting scammed, rip off or, you know, most of the common fears that are associated with new technologies. Don't be scared, guys. I mean, <laughs> I mean, be a little scared. Don't like put all your money in yeah, it, yeah. but <laughs> like be cautiously optimistic. How about yes. that? Let's let's put a middle ground on it. So... I want to ask like both of you these questions because I know you're also, I'm, I'm more of a bleeding heart liberal, I think, than you guys. But what is a classical liberal? What does that mean exactly? And how does that relate to like libertarianism? You know, I, I mean, this is what you talk about all day, I guess. Mm. So what does that mean like for people who aren't as politically active and don't know all these definitions, what it entails? I'm not going to lie. It's not easy to keep up with it these days because even Five years ago, I could have given you the basic spiel of, you know, classical liberal libertarian, what it means. But now it's drifted into so many different factions or so many different political ideas involved in the space, you know, from, you know, more left leaning to more far right leaning to more traditional like libertarian party of people who just want freedom, you know, legalize weed, you know, non-aggression principle, you know, basically just peaceful market interaction is the most easy way I can describe classical liberalism slash libertarianism? Yeah, you hit it right on point. I would say that, you know, we use the phrase a lot, live and let live, sort of like, you know, keep out of people's bedrooms, keep out of people's finances. If people essentially want to trade, you know, if, if, if you want to trade with somebody and that trade just happens to be anything that traditionally would be shunned upon, sometimes even to go out there, sometimes even people bring like, let's say, sex workers, you know, even if you don't like it personally, you have to say if, if nobody's getting hurt by doing it, you almost kind of would, you would not rather put somebody in jail and run the risk of hurting somebody as we've seen in so many videos these days, mm -hmm. then let it happen. Maybe it may not happen in your neighborhood or somewhere else, but don't just go out and make people criminals for not hurting other folks. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so so the idea is like, don't get in other people's business. Let yeah. let people don't people, hurt people and don't take their stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good to me. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting, you know. Like we have this system where um, 
a lot of people say like real, real democracy, like right now we've a representative democracy, but real, real democracy where every single person makes decisions wouldn't necessarily work because people just don't know enough. And like the world is so complex now that like, like, should we be letting everyone making all the decisions? Maybe that's kind of a tangent on like, not exactly what you guys are talking about. You were talking about more just like, let people make any choice that they want and let them enjoy the consequences of it. And it doesn't matter if we, we don't need to have the government regulated per mm. se. Yeah, and to your point as well, you know, there are certain things that, you know, that certain market functions that democracy can't really sustain. You know, there's certain price signals and economic signals and things that require expertise that you can't just leave up to, you know, mass public consensus. You have to dedicate these tasks to particular people who specialize in that field who can give you the best outcome. Otherwise, you just basically have people making policy decisions based on how they feel about something, which is kind of ignorant and dangerous point of view. I think we have, we see that a lot right now in terms of the uh, current financial situation we have in America, particularly with things, um, organizations like the Federal Reserve really um, screwing with our money. <laughs> and I think most people are starting to realize that you can take more control of that, you know, by not having such centralized organizations to micromanage and plan out everything in your life. And I think decentralizing money is kind of like one of the biggest things right now in that space happening. Yeah. And one thing I would add to that. So, you know, we're here at the Bitcoin conference, we're talking about currency, you know, the Fed, but something that's probably touched a lot more people's lives is how the governments have gone about regulating, let's say weed and how many lives that's destroyed, how many, especially minorities end up in jail without having the ability to even go through the system. Oftentimes, they're not even, they've only been accused, but there's still bad things happen. And how many videos we've seen of somebody that ended up getting shot or dead somehow for, again, not hurting anybody. But what I would say, we sort of jumped right into it and we started discussing all these things. But I wanted to ask you, how did you end up making social commentary? How did you end up in this field? What led you there? Did you say, okay, this is what I want to do? Or did you just sort of end up there? The first thing that got me interest, like got me started as far as like making social commentary on YouTube, because it's a long rabbit trail. It started off with zombie movies, just loving apocalyptic right. films. Yeah. And then I started taking that into like real life for a while. Like it's like when I was 18, 17, really dead, like hardcore Alex Jones fanatic. So telling my mom all the time, like the FEMA camps are coming, like buy water, like we're gonna get guns. Like we're gonna... <laughs> you, you became like a person who's like, the apocalypse is about to come. Exactly. Like a, a hoarder. The yeah. Is the end is not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which it could be. I mean, maybe you're still right. Right. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. I'm a little bit more optimistic now. Like I think life is getting pretty better. But from there, I started learning about, through Alex Jones, I learned about Ron Paul and started learning about the general ideas of liberty. And then that led me into different spaces such as economics, cryptocurrency. But the main thing that got me on YouTube particularly was just laziness of writing all my arguments on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I would have tons of people want to engage me in discussions about like different topics like, yeah, like abortion, drug legalization. And I would find myself repeating like my arguments all the time. And I would say, you know what? It would be awesome if I could just refer them to a video on this, give them the baseline of my um, ideology regarding it, if it's still accurate. And then from there, just, just to save me some time. And then from there, we can uh, move on into deeper conversations about it. But yeah, starting off, it was literally just basically like a little personal diary of my own thoughts on public matters. All right. So let me ask you a little bit. There's been 
several issues in the culture going on. I wanted to ask your opinion of what are some of the important ones, or at least some of the ones you've been covering. We have the issues with Alex Jones getting banned. Lately, we have a lot of what a lot of people call Patreon, the Patreon mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. We also have a lot of blacks for Trump and mm -hmm. how some people feel about that. Yeah, the so, Kanye thing. Yeah, the Kanye. I don't, you know, Kanye for sure. But it's more than just Kanye, right? There's been other people who have been getting a lot of heat for supporting Trump because mm -hmm. they're not supposed to. So what do you think are the topics that are floating around out there that people are talking about and why? Why does that capture their attention? There's tons of topics that um, people are talking about. Trump is obviously, you know, the main one just because, you know, the mainstream media makes a lot of money by having a constant 24-7 story about whatever latest thing Trump's involved in. And I would say I can get into various different topics that are probably in this space right now, but probably, of course, like mass demonetization, things like censorship on YouTube and stuff like that. I think the main thing is really just talking about this I don't really know what to describe it as, but it's some sort of like generational transformation, like the next stage in modern society. I'm not sure if it, it seems like it's going towards more decentralization, like against like the grain of traditional standard, you know, no offense to any of my elders out there, but boomer tier, like politics and living, you know, we have like things like institutions like college and academia crumbling. And of course, things like modern banking, you know, having a whole bunch of revolutions. And even in terms of Trump's presidency, whether you like him or not, starts like shaking the table and basically trolling the state. It's yeah. chaotic and scary, yet super fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a nihilist like me. <laughs> but, oh, but, what is a strong word? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think Trump knows how to use the launch codes just yet. So we're, we're, we're still alive at least. So kind of making a shift in topic, I want to hear just about like the practicals of being a YouTuber. I'm just like, I mean, a little selfishly because I think we want to start getting a presence on YouTube as a podcast, but I'm also just genuinely curious, you know, how the monetization works, like how how was like, your life, like setting up videos, like mm -hmm. doing videos, interviewing people, all that stuff. Like, what are some of the interesting parts that maybe people people don't realize or people don't know when they're not actually YouTuber themselves? It depends. Different YouTubers have different strategies on how they make content. Um, me, I'm kind of like a minimalist YouTuber. Um, I think some people like get caught up in the focus of making it, trying to make it too perfect too soon. And they buy all the best equipment, making sure everything's written out perfectly without actually producing content. I can speak from personal experience. I've had tons of videos which have had loads of editing, like hours upon hours of like research, links, and all the information with like all the best equipment. And But my most viral videos are when I just turn on my cell phone, selfie style, and rant. You can't really predict which content is going to have the biggest reach. You just have to make it. So I think that's the one thing that a lot of people who are interested in like getting involved in the space kind of fail at in terms of kind of being so focused on appearance versus actually giving users a product, which is your content. So for me, it just entail, like, entails just setting up, setting up a camera, finding something to talk about, putting it out there, and those who want to find it will find it. Of course, you have different avenues of sort of networking and stuff like that. And like you said, as far as monetization, finding sponsors, whether you do the AdSense route of just allowing Google to sponsor your post or finding separate private entity sponsors to 
sponsor your channel or your personal brand. Of course, people are migrating from YouTube to try to build like big influencer platforms, move like trying to build audiences on Instagram, Twitter, and basically trying to just capture attention in the marketplace, which can be tough, but beyond like how difficult it might be to get an audience, I think the biggest thing is just making sure you have a passion for it, making sure it's something that you want to do, not chasing ambulances, chasing the latest story, but being able to turn on a camera, talk and actually enjoy it. And if that content receives zero views, you're still satisfied with it. I think that's one thing, biggest like thing that I think most people don't really know about successful YouTubers or that they assume successful YouTubers don't really care about. So what I hear in that answer is you almost have a thread of philosophy. There are things that you do and there are things that you don't do or you don't talk about or would rather not talk about it perhaps because it's already discussed all over the media. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that you can mention that you're like, well, you know, really right now I'd rather not talk about this because it's it's covered so much and that's really just not part of, let's say, your philosophy? Is there any just sort of to give those out there who are looking to perhaps start their own YouTube channel, an idea of the thinking that goes behind into which topics and you will discuss and which topics you would rather leave out? Like how to, how to best invest your time mm -hmm. in the topics that you will discuss? I say like the best way to maximize what you can get out of a particular piece of content is to just make sure that you have something like particularly insightful and interesting to bring to the conversation. If you're repeating yourself, you're just like doing the same Milto's argument, you may get traction because people have a demand for that type of content, but it doesn't really stand out, you know? And I think people more so focus on like chasing the story or chasing the thing instead of focusing on their personal brand, which I think mo most people um, cling to as far as like content creators are concerned. They're less interested in what you're talking about, but who you are and why you're talking about it. So there's a few topics that, you know, for example, right now that I could talk about, like for Trump is like the main one mm -hmm. where you could, you could have a story constantly and probably get decent views, but is it something that I'm passionate about? No. Is it something that I'm particularly like super knowledgeable about? No. And is it something that I would feel good talking about? It? Like if your content feels like work, if it feels like you have to like squeeze in a take on something that you really don't care about and you don't want to talk about, but you're just doing it for the sake of views, mm -hmm. I think that's a really bad strategy. So I think the biggest thing in terms of figuring out what type of content you want to make is just, do you care about it personally? Do you like the content? Do you like the topic? And if you do, talk about it. I mean, I guess that's why we do the podcast, right? We, we like crypto, so we're talking about it. Good advice. So we're getting low on time, but is there anything that we haven't discussed already that you would like to bring up real quick? Sure. Um, I'll just briefly talk about my um, current projects. My YouTube channel is in a bit of a hiatus right now just because a lot of other things on my plate. Right now, I'm the director of content experiences for the Atlanta Bitcoin Embassy. We're trying to assist in practical outreach and trying, of course, market adoption, things like that. Basically, just getting the community to know about crypto, but through a means of not appealing to crypto. I, th I think so many people in the space kind of to talk about crypto with other crypto people mm -hmm. and it becomes a little bit of a bubble for a while. And it's fun when, you, when you're in it, but from the outside looking in, it's very intimidating to get involved. So just finding more easier layman routes of explaining and 
showing the use case of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and blockchain technology and stuff like that is what I'm focusing on right now. And we'll see what 2019, 2020 has in store. So where, where can people find more about that? You can go to atlbitcoinembassy.com to find more about the embassy. If you want to find more about me personally, you can follow me on Twitter at or Instagram at Taleed Bespoke. That's T-A-L-E-E-D-B-E-S-P-O-K-E. And yeah, hit me up on social. And if you need any additional information from there, we'll definitely help you out. There you have it. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Bit Cryptic Podcast. Tuning out. Keep it cryptic, guys. Thank you for listening to a Bit Cryptic Podcast. A Bit Cryptic Podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor in chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.